Hello, everybody. Welcome to Random Encounter 239 or 239. Uh, and this is, believe it or not, April Fool's Day. Yes, we are recording this on April Fool's Day. The entire 240 episode run of Random was just one elaborate prank to fool our listeners into listening to our podcast. And it worked. April Fool's. But hey, since we've accidentally built up an audience in that time, we might as well just keep the show going, right? Uh, and with that in mind, let's introduce today's panel. First up is Neil Chandran. Hey, everyone. And alongside him is Brian McKenzie. Hey, all. And finally, making his first appearance on Random Encounter, uh, Gerg de Image. Did I pronounce that right? Gerg. Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Soulsborn, Dark Souls. <laughs> hey, Greg. April Fools, everybody. What the hell have you done with this place? That doesn't go there. You don't put that there. What kind of intro was that? God, I'm leaving. Well, that'll be the second time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Comedy. Yeah. Anyways, hi, I'm great. Welcome. It's it's me, Greg. I'm back around to talk about things. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, just an update, you know, uh, on everything that's going on here. You know, there's there's news flying around out there about uh, about summer summer gaming festivals and things like that that are not happening and that might be back in 2023 maybe i don't think back so back in person yeah we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on um i'm not going to be talking about games today because i am i'm playing games that are old i am i'm attacking backlog right now i just finished the final fantasy 3 pixel remaster which was the only final fantasy that i had never actually the only classic final fantasy that i've never actually completed nice what'd you think uh, it was a slightly worse version of Final Fantasy V, or more accurately, given the given the sequence, Final Fantasy V was a better version of Final Fantasy III. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's apt, but it's it's still very cool to see kind of like how they experimented with it, and it's still yeah. like very, it's still good considering. No, it's but bad. yes, it definitely they they definitely ironed it out for five, and yeah, it, it's interesting. I would argue that the biggest jump in. Uh, quality or i guess generation between final fantasy 3 and final fantasy 4 it wasn't the graphics or the music it was the story and the yep. characterization like just the difference between final fantasy 3 and final fantasy 4 is in terms of world building and characters and even supporting characters is stunning it's the heart yeah it really is and i'm currently playing deus ex human revolution which is an older game uh, that was beloved in its time. It was released in 2011, and I really like it. Yeah, you hadn't played it yet. Yeah, I've never played it, but I gotta say, it's showing its age. Oh, really? I haven't gone back to it, but I love it. Yeah, it's good, don't get me wrong, but it is showing its age with certain mechanics and things like that. Oh, yeah? Uh, and zipping around Detroit and having to go from one side of the city, it just takes a long time. And it, there's just, mm. there's a lot of quality of life things that have come out uh, between 2011 and now in the last 10 years that I feel uh, have improved this sort of simulation RPG. Um, still, true. like, not hitting it, it's a good game. Uh, yeah. Really looking forward to... Yeah, really looking forward to dumping in, uh, jumping into uh, Mankind Divided uh, in a bit and see how see how it advances and see if the, the criticisms I have about this game are uh, taken care of. Oh, wait, that's me. I'm mixing them up. Yeah, Mankind Divided, that's the most recent one. And that's yeah, that was 2001. 2016 i think 16 yeah. yeah that one is it am i thinking of the right one maybe i'm not it takes place uh, the sequel takes place in prague the first one takes place in detroit yeah yeah you have the right idea mankind no okay is the yeah. most recent one okay yeah. but i yeah that's the one i haven't played i have played human revolution and i liked it has anyone else played the deus ex games yeah uh i really like them i think human revolution is 
uh, better than Mankind Divided, but Mankind Divided has mechanically, I think, has probably aged better. Mm. It has a great story. I'm really enjoying the story. Did you go stealthy or are you murdering everybody? Oh, I'm stealth boy who usually goes for uh, non-lethal, non-lethal measures unless I have to. That makes to. it fun. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm all about the not murder um, which always makes Dishonored a pain in the butt to play. But anyway. And then you get through the game and you found out somewhere, somehow a swarm of rats or a guy fell into a water oh, feature so and bad. you lost the achievement to go through the whole game without killing anybody. It's like, Rage. this isn't my fault. At best, this should be manslaughter. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's what I'm playing right now. And they're both, you know, old, old games. Well, the Pixel Remaster technically isn't, but it's a it's a, rem- it's a remake of an old game. Um, yeah, I doubt they refine the mechanics. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to talk about some new games now. Uh, and one of them being Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Uh, so Neil, you are currently playing this. And I know that uh, first person RPGs, like FPS style games, it's not your go-to genre. Uh, but I got to say, based on the impressions piece, uh, that you wrote a few weeks ago and uh, what you've told me, it sounds like you're actually really enjoying your time with this game. Indeed, I am actually, because unlike the rest of you, I have not played a Deus Ex games because first person shooter style games and RPGs are not really my thing. But yeah, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands is ridiculously fun. Now, um, for people who are familiar with the borderlands games from what i understand it doesn't like add a lot of brand new things to the gameplay or reinvent the wheel but it doesn't have to because everything about the gameplay is just really smooth and getting into it yeah it's a it's a borderlands it's a borderlands spinoff uh more accurately it's a spinoff of the borderlands 2 dlc campaign tiny tina's assault on dragon keep uh which recently was spun off into a standalone title kind of to promote this uh, expanded version. Uh, I'm assuming that you've never played Borderlands, given that you're not really a FPS kind of guy. No, I haven't. But um, you don't really need more than a passing familiarity with Borderlands or with Tina herself to really get into Tiny Tina's Wonderlands because it is its own standalone thing. Um while, yes, if you've played prior Borderlands games and uh, Assault on Dragon's Keep, there's a lot of little references in there that um, longtime fans will pick up on. But even for a new newbie like me, like I said, I just need I just looked up a little bit about, you know, who Tiny Tina was and and I got into it because. From the off, her madcap personality just completely shines through. And I'm just thinking, okay, she's going to be a crazy fun bunker master, which is the game's equivalent of a dungeon master in this game. Yeah, it's uh, what is the name of the game they're playing? It's Bunkers and uh... Bunkers and Badasses. If I may interject here for a quick second as an aside, a um, question for anybody who has played like Horizon or or this uh where in the middle of this do you feel that real ashley birch lives you know is she more tiny tina or is she more aloy um and then also they just did a promotional thing with critical role where ashley birch was a bunker master doing a one shot through this setting (laughs) on uh their thing i didn't see it but i saw that advertised i was like that's so fun that's cool she'd be an amazing dungeon master bunker master which segues into what I think is one of the coolest parts of this game is, you know, the writing and the voice acting. 
obviously Ashley Birch is amazing as Tiny Tina. And yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. And you have, you know, heavy hitters like uh, Andy Samberg and Wanda Sykes in there. And oh, damn. Yes. Andy Samberg play. Okay. The setup is that you're in the bunker with Tiny Tina and two of her friends and you playing this tabletop game. Andy Samberg plays a dude named Valentine who thinks he's a Han Solo type high flying rogue, but he's really more of a launch pad McQuack who crashes more than he flies. I'd love me a good DuckTales reference. And Wanda Sykes plays Fret, who is uh, Valentine's snarky android companion. That's the thing I wanted to ask you, actually, because um, generally speaking, two things that categorize the Borderlands series uh, are its focus on guns and loot, which is why it's known as a looter shooter. And in this particular case, its comedy science fiction setting has given way to like this insane fantasy setting. It's kind of like going from uh, Douglas Adams to Terry Pratchett. Um, Now, given this settings, I wouldn't have thought that... uh, that uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands would have the same focus on guns, but it sounds like it does. How does it balance that looter-shooter feel with the the more fantasy-based setting? I feel like it does that balance very seamlessly because I read read somewhere that um, the the creative force behind Borderlands really wanted to create a fantasy Borderlands, but weren't initially sure how and uh well they did it through tiny tina and this uh and this tabletop game (laughs) and as i've been playing it it is clear that the creative folks are definitely fans of tabletop and even video game style rpgs because while most of the uh i guess dungeon areas for lack of a better term and the you know, ran- and the random encounters uh, occur as first-person shooters, you know, shooting, looting, running, gunning, and all that. But between all that, there is an overworld that really look that looks partially like a tabletop-style overworld complete with um, random household objects like push pins and bottle caps being obstacles and also the lush greenery of what you would expect in a video game RPG overworld. Oh, I like that. So it's not using like the open world style that's so popular with pretty much every game nowadays. There's actually like a map. Correct. And and one thing I like is that there's even a nod to Pokemon in there where you can only get into random encounters when you're walking through the tall grass in the overworld. Oh, that tall grass. It's where everyone hides. Yeah. Do you ever wonder if the if like when you run into someone in the tall grass, maybe they think you're the random encounter. <laughs> just because everyone thinks random encounters happen in the in the long grass. It's just Pokemon were just trying to live their lives. And then yeah. you just kicked them. It's like stepping on a snake. Um, I mean, if a Pidgey's flying right low, it, it's just asking for it. <laughs> um, let's talk about, uh, you were you were talking a little bit about the, uh, the voice acting uh, being uh, exceptionally strong in this game, and I can understand why, given the, uh, the high quality of the people who are involved. Uh, Ashley Birch's work is uh, excellent and growing. Um, to be resp- in response to your question, Greg, I would probably I would guess that the closest thing to her personality is in Mythic Quest, um, 
where she is uh she is a oh, character yeah. she is also a writer That's on fair. that show if 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 anyone on this podcast hasn't uh watched mythic quest yet i feel like everyone on this show would really enjoy it <laughs> do yourself uh, a favor <laughs> yeah it's it's really the kind of show that really uh hits a lot of our buttons as rpg fans um but obviously it, it doesn't nerds. matter how good yeah nerds we're all <laughs> nerds it doesn't matter how good the uh acting is if the script is terrible but i've heard uh Actually, I haven't heard. I've played Borderlands 1, so I know it's hysterically funny. I hear that this game is very funny. Uh, how's the writing? Like, how does it uh, how does it work itself into the script and the gameplay? Okay, the writing is excellent. And the way it feels is that because Tiny Tina is your bunker master, dungeon master, you know, as you're going through the game, she narrates. You know, she'll either narrate plot points or or just observations on things. And the other two will do that as well. And what I like is that um, the narration is, it's not overdone. It's not underdone. It's just right. And one thing I like about RPGs is that it's not about so much the destination, but it's more about the journey because in tiny Tina's wonderlands, you're basically, you know, a ragtag hero with some ragtag friends out to save the world from a god tier supervillain, but yeah, the the loot were the, the loot was the friends we made along the way, and it's the journey and all the and all the crazy quests that Tiny Tina puts you on that really just make it amazing. Like there's this one mid game quest where you have to defeat an enemy who is made invincible through plot armor and. Plot armor is this tangible thing, and I'm just, oh my gosh. yeah, I know. I was laughing because obviously it's playing with the very common JRPG trope, but it just, and while the joke was so obvious, it was done in such a clever, amusing way because of tiny Tina and the other characters commentary from what I have seen. I've read your, I've read, I haven't read your review yet, but I've read your impressions piece and I've seen some, uh, some footage here and there from like the outside Xbox gang. Uh, it seems really friggin' funny. Uh, and the way that, like you said, the way that the writing is integrated into the story is, is really nice. Um, this game, it's obviously, it, it's a borderlands game. It's, it looks from what I understand, it's almost a reskin of borderlands three, um, which was released in 2019. Um, but there are a lot of uh, mechanics and things laid on top of it from traditional D&D, or in this case, B&B, uh, tabletop adventures. Uh, so, for example, character classes. So uh, what what character do you, what class did you pick? Character classes are very unexpected. Like, they have names like Spore Warden and Stabomancer. <laughs> and Amazing. Bell shot. Anyway, when I first tried out the game, I tried the spell shot class because I thought, hmm, a mage that shoots guns. That sounds like the old Fantasy Star Online character I had um, in the Dreamcast days. She was a mage who wielded pistols, but I wasn't very good with that class because I had to be like, more stealthy and distancey, and that was tough for me. So I picked a class called Burr, that's B-R-R-R, like when you're called Zerker, which is a very tanky class that 
is really good with melee attacks and does <laughs> some ice spells and obviously shoots lots of guns too. And for an impatient, you know, jump in guns akimbo style play that I seem to go for in first person shooters, that suited me. And mm. and uh, there comes a point where you can pick a second class. So it's almost like in Final Fantasy V's job system where you have your main job and then you can uh, have like a like a skills a from like a yeah. second job like you can have say a white mage who can dual wield yeah dual wield those rods and not just with the character classes one thing i loved was the character creation module which was mm. yeah, it was really robust because i know in prior borderlands games you usually have a preset character but in this one because it was emulating the character creation aspect of a tabletop game. Oh man, I could have spent so much time just, you know, going through all the crazy options for facial expressions and eye shapes and skin colors. I mean, I chose a dusk blue skin color for my character. And what's also cool is you can even choose between he, she, or they pronouns for your characters. So I'm like, all right, yay for inclusivity. I'm enjoying the fact that that's starting to get to the point now where it's like, we still mention it, but it's kind of like a given at this point that if it's not included, it's it's something to take note of. It's like, oh, that's weird. I wonder why they didn't put that in. Right. It's becoming less the exception. And we're all glad for that. Yes, we most certainly oh, yeah. are. Um, something that I think is really cool about this game is how uh, they reinterpreted, well, basically the fantasy setting in D&D. And it doesn't just feel obviously uh, Bonkers and Badasses is funny. But from what I understand, Tiny Tina is a uh, like a oh, borderline sociopathic uh, 13-year-old girl. And I like how it's kind of taken that youthful exuberance and imagination and just throwing it at the screen as hard as it can to create like all of these stabomancer class, like hybrid classes of various fantasy archetypes. And I like that feels very authentic to me that a 13 year old kid would uh, create this world like this with just over the top imagination and in, in things that don't really make sense, but they don't really need to. And that is 100% why this game is so great because it is so wonderfully imaginative and so creative and just not afraid to just, you know, throw caution to the wind. Mm -hmm. As I understand it, uh, teenage girls have quite imaginations. Uh, Greg, is this true? I mean, yeah. And mine's a preteen, so she's... Yours is a tween. How old is Gwen now? Going on 12 in July. Going on 12 in July. And yeah, all imagination all the time. As long as it's encouraged, which it very much should be. Um... Does your experience with Tiny Tina's Wonderland, I guess, I don't think it would convert you to being an FPS fan, but would the idea of playing another one of the Borderland games appeal to you at some point in the future? If you're, if you're bored and you're twitching for like, kind of like that style of gameplay, would Borderlands be something that you'd consider playing? Oh, most definitely. Because with Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, the controls are super smooth. Like Mm. whether I'm using a mouse keyboard combo or whether I was using a game pad, once I got used to it, everything just felt great. And I'm thinking, wow, this is why people like Borderlands. The controls are just amazing. So yeah, I definitely feel like 
I could get into the driver's seat of another Borderlands game for fun. Yeah, that's what I found when I played Borderlands 1 too. It was it was pretty tight. Like it, it controlled really, really well. There are some FPS games out there that it, it, it's almost difficult to control. I, I don't like playing FPS games with controllers. I don't know why. They just, my brain doesn't work like that. Give me a mouse and keyboard every time. But oddly enough, Tiny Tina with the controller is pretty good, actually. That's really, really cool. Oh, and what's also cool about Tiny Tina is that the melee combat is pretty solid as well. Like, Borderlands is not a game series that I that's apparently known for melee combat, but this being a fantasy Borderlands, and there is definitely a need for melee weapons. So the fact that the melee combat is good is huge plus. You you need to. There's some whacking going on in this game. Oh, without yeah, a it's doubt. not something they really introduced properly until two when they had like the ninja class. Yeah, but even then, it's. It's it's a looter shooter yeah, for a reason. Yeah, he was still encouraged to use pistols and stuff. And even I don't know if if it was like what it was in Borderlands One, where you had like the big bruiser guy. I forget his name, but like he had his like special thing was just punching everything. But that was about it. For, I think for as far as melee went. Well, thank you very much, Neil, for coming on and talking about this because this is a game. It's funny when this was first announced, there was a bit of a, a conversation RPG fan about like, okay, while we recognize that this is an homage to tabletop RPGs, uh, is it an RPG that we would cover? Like, is it an RPG or is it going to be a fairly straight ahead FPS? And I was very glad when we started learning that there are going to be character classes and and various other things that made make it very firmly a uh, hybrid like fantasy RPG, but merging that with Borderlands. And it sounds like they really pull it off. So I'm I'm thrilled to death that uh, that we decided to cover it. And I'm actually really happy that you decided to cover it because like we said, you this is not a genre that you usually play, and it's amazing sometimes. You tend to be the person on staff who uh, I would argue is the most adventurous and the most willing to try out games that are outside of your uh, comfort zone. And uh, you know, sometimes we'll get it. Sometimes we'll get an email, and there's there's a game coming out that's not it's not a huge deal. It's not like getting a massive amount of publicity. But you step in, and you're like, I really want to play this. Um, this is a fairly high profile release, but in a way it's very similar because, you know, it's not a, it's not a genre you're, you're usually into. So the fact that you stepped in for this, it made me really happy. And, uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to play it because again, this game is really fun. And while it's hard, it's impossible to convey this in words, but it is clear to me that the creative team behind, uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands are Definitely RPG fans because <laughs> this game just, I mean, yeah, it may be a looter shooter, but it's an RPG. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Does anyone else in the podcast have any experience with like actual uh, D&D tabletop adventure games? Yep. Yeah, me too. And I would actually definitely recommend, Neil, if you liked this one to play the um, the Borderlands 2 Tiny Tina DLC that they released as a standalone because that was really fun too. I think the fantasy setting is a slam dunk for Borderlands. I definitely want to try Assault on Dragon's Keep now. I've heard good things about it, obviously, um, because, you know, it, it was popular enough that it got spent it got spun off into wonderlands so it's it's nice to hear that um well i'm let me see how can i transition this into uh into the next game uh 
actually I can't. I cannot possibly come up with a, a, a combination going from D and D to farming. So we are going to uh, we are going to hey, you know when you're farming and you're bored and you you play D and D in when your, your head. Te- your creatures, your 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 characters retire and they all become yeah. farmers until they get cast as Jason Statham and then spend much time running through an awful awful movie to retire from being a farmer at the behest of the king. So Rune Factory Five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at uh, least it had ron perlman ron perlman starring in rune factory 5 sorry <laughs> no I, that'd be I amazing mean, no i'm talking about that terrible for the king movie based off of yeah that uh shoot that whatever it's a crappy Yui bowl video game movie we all know I'd, I'd romance ron perlman if he was in rune factory 5 i think ron perlman should just be in more games as ron perlman <laughs> that would be incredible dude is legend dude is legend he can st- every single game farming Farming never changes. <laughs> I was about to make that joke. I'm glad you did. Because <laughs> your impression is better. Um, so, Brian, yeah, you've been playing uh, You've been playing a lot of games lately, but one of them being Rune Factory 5. Uh, now, you didn't review it for the site. Nikki reviewed it for us, uh, and Nikki very much enjoyed it. She gave it a 90, uh, finding it very, very charming and fun. She and- would. Yes, she would. Um, she has been super excited about it, especially given the uh, the news that there was finally going to be uh, same-sex relationships and marriage uh, introduced into the Rune Factory series, which is a very long time coming, speaking of things that should be uh, standard in most games. Um, now, that being said, the reviews across the board have been a little bit mixed. Some people have been really enjoying it. Some people have some criticisms of it, uh, being less than impressed by the graphics, uh, find found it some parts of it quite buggy uh the place where some people have really gone after it is the controls now as someone who just reviewed uh rune factory 4 special for the site i'm curious what did you make of this game are you enjoying it yeah uh so i loved rune factory 4 uh but on 5 i would say i'm a little in between nikki's review and kind of the uh the the zeitgeist of reviews the pile on and uh i'm going to start with the elephant on the farm uh the move to 3d um I think in a vacuum, it looks okay. Some of the, all of the characters look nice. I like the environments, but the performance really does suffer in this mm. game. And not just in times where a lot's going on, even just running around town, or if you leave a building, you'll get stutters or slow down or uh, like texture pop in. And this isn't the biggest deal for most of the game. Cause you know, if there's a little stuttering while you're farming, it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does bring down the combat of the game and the dungeon crawling, which is the sort of the highlight of Rune Factory. It's the reason why Rune Factory exists, really. Otherwise, you're just playing Harvest Moon. That's one of the things I said in, in the Rune Factory 4 review is that to me, I and mean, it's a farming game, but it's kind of an everything game. Uh, and the combat's a big part of it. And it feels like they it feels like they knew that the performance was going to suffer because the combat or at least the enemy design feels a little dumbed down to me. Like the bosses and enemies are very simple. They don't move as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Rune Factory 4, I did not beat all of the bosses on the first try. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, I've beaten every boss in Rune Factory 5 on the first try, barely taking a hit on most of them. Um, so at least the performance doesn't make the game that much harder, but it definitely makes the combat less fun to play. And I feel like this is a trend with Switch games where series are like making the transition to 3D for 
a presentation that doesn't look that much better, and then the performance suffers too. I, I would argue that the Switch is not the place to ever make the jump to 3D. I, I mean, it seems like it can be done if, like, we've seen good-looking 3D games that perform well, but it seems like maybe not the place to do it for the first time ever. I I love my Switch. I love the Nintendo Switch. I'm a Nintendo fanboy, but a powerhouse console, this ain't. No. Uh, and trying to do something new, like transitioning your traditionally 2D uh, game series into 3D, there are better consoles to do it on that would give you more bang for your buck where you're not having to stress uh, stress yourself and remove all of the detail from your enemies because it's going to crash your uh, frame rate. Yeah, I, I agree. I also think 2D still looks great. I wish I do too. weren't like averse to 2D so much. Um. <laughs> it's a kind of thing like... In a, Okay, this is going to, I don't play farm sims, which might explain why I'm coming at it this direction. But actually, uh, Mike Salvato might actually have it a very opinion, opinion on this. In a world where Stardew Valley exists, why, why even bother playing Room Factory 5 or Story of Seasons or Harvest Moon? That's not a rhetoric. I'm actually curious. Like, why would you say? Uh, I would say the basic answer to that would be if you already played Stardew <laughs> and, and you want more. Or I would say the other thing is, is if you're more into the JRPG tropes than, you know, kind of like more Western game writing. You know, That's they are written the very thing, differently. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's definitely JRPG by comparison from the romances, everything. And this is a good good opportunity to get into the story a bit. Um, you know, Stardew is a very down-to-earth story. Uh, you know, you're a guy in a town helping out the town. You know, there's fantastic elements, but the the scale and the stakes are relatively low compared to Rune Factory, where the stories are more like you're saving the country from magic invaders or you're helping this big dragon. One date at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you're sa saving the world one date at a time. But also there are carrots that need to be pulled out of the ground. Well, I was going to say both like dates with partners and then literally growing dates, but... I don't think that's actually a farmable thing, but still. Apparently, there are a lot of farmable things in this game, though. Yes, there are. They actually give you they give you the second plot of land really early in this game, which is I, I like in the sense that I love having more farm to plant more seeds and make more money. But you get it really early before you have like the really efficient farming tools. So doing all of my farming in the morning takes like 10 to 20 minutes of real time, uh, which is a little longer than I would like. Um, but let me get into stuff I like, because sure. I feel like I just talked about a lot about stuff I don't like. How does the combat work and how does the farming work? Yeah, so the combat is very much uh, like a hack and slash. And previously it was like a top down camera, whereas now you can freely move the camera. Which that's what I was going to ask you back when you were talking about 2D, 3D, because like since Frontier, or even on the DS, like it was always like 3D models. But when you say 3D, you're talking about like 3D camera viewpoint. Yeah, yeah I mean like 3D, 3D space. Like you gotcha. have full control over yeah. the camera. It's yeah. not isometric. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe I should use isometric. That's a little more clear. It's all good. I just wanted to be clear that people weren't going back and being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this game hasn't been ever been 2D, but I get what you mean now. But yeah, so the combat's very much hack and slash. You have one attack button, you have two like skill buttons, and as you play, you unlock some more attacks per weapon, like a charge attack or a dash attack. And that's really basically all there is to it. It's a super basic combat system, and it was in Rune Factory 4 too. It's always been very simple. Can you uh, finally lock on to things? You can lock on to things. Oh, thank yes. goodness. I hate that in Frontier so much. It's so nebulous. Uh, so it's a very simple combat system. It's serviceable. It's not that deep. 
but what I would say they do well in these games is they inter they, they kind of space out how often you have to do combat. Like I think combat would be boring to do for more than 30 minutes to an hour at a time. Mm-hmm. But the game kind of makes sure you're never doing that. It's like you do you do a dungeon that takes like maybe an hour and then you probably aren't going to you don't have to do combat again for probably three to five hours. So it's very spaced out with the other stuff, which I appreciate. Speaking of the other stuff, let's talk about farming. Yeah, also farming is also a very simple system. You have your plot of land and you have your farming tools. So every morning you take your hoe and you hit all the land to make it nice and fertile. Then you plant the seeds and then you water every day until it's ready to harvest. Hmm. Uh, And this is basically just pressing A a lot is how this works mechanically, essentially. And it, it feels like, it, I feel like when I describe it that way, it sounds very boring. And I guess- I mean, that's part of the charm of these games, it, as I understand it. Yeah, I, I think if you, it sounds boring, but it's like a calming activity for me. It's like, I like to play these games when I'm getting ready for bed at night, and it's like nice and relaxing. Yeah, you don't want farming to be too complicated. You want it to be- a thing you can just do. That's why you play Farm Simulator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not playing a Paradox, uh, like, massive strategy game here. We're, we're planting carrots. Although I wouldn't mind seeing that mashup now. RTS farming sim? Or not RTS, like, stra- but like strategy, like, uh, Fire emblem kind of thing mashed up. Know, where you I have could... to feed a whole army, not just you. Oh, I'm a little surprised that no one's ever done that, actually. I think I could go for RTS farming. Yeah, actually, just bring that's... a whole new element with the whole feed an army. <laughs> with your one farm <laughs> no pressure or like you have like you know an army of farms so to speak like you have to be down on the ground instead of managing like a like a civilization manager kind of thing i'm still a little bit stuck on the idea of paradox interactive doing a harvest moon style game that would be insane um but anyway uh moving away from what i would like um let's let's talk about something that is nikki was especially enthused about which is the relationship system in this game yes i I was about to say the thing that i really like about rune factory and that i think rune factory 5 does better than rune factory 4 Mm -hmm. is the characters and the relationship system um in rune factory 4 there were only a couple standout characters to me uh in rune factory 5 i love almost everyone uh a standout for me is uh I don't know if this is how it's pronounced, but Murakamo, uh, who is a big purple wolf man that runs the hot springs and says things like right on. And I love him. Um, <laughs> can you romance the wolf man? <laughs> you can. You can. And I might. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> they have, they've tapped into a whole new resource of fans. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Oh, they do. Can you romance the 300 year old girl who looks like she's 12? Oh, they don't have one in this game. Oh, thank goodness. I thought you said this was supposed to be JRPG anime inspired. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, they did have one in Rune Factory 4, uh, but not in this one, which was a nice step up. And and that goes into what I was going to say next. The character designs are also a step up, I think. Uh, I like almost all of them. There's only a couple that I don't like. And I know we touched on this earlier, but they also added uh, gay romance options in this game. Well, in the localization of this game, I should say, only in the Western version. Um, But I love that. And it's not just one. Like, I feel like a common trend in these games, well, not these games, but games like this, is to have like one gay character option. <laughs> we gave them what they want. Move along. Yeah. In this one, you can marry anyone regardless of your gender. And I think that's great. Hmm. Um, it's fun. Yeah. It seems like it's going to be a big step forward for this series. And I know that it is only in the uh, Western release of it, but 
I mean, fingers crossed, it's a whole bunch of new content. Maybe, maybe that content will be localized back over to uh, Japan or maybe in Rune Factory 6, it will just be built in off the top. Um, the fact that's included at all is a good sign for things that might happen in the future. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but yeah, so the, the characters are great. And the other thing they added to this one that I would say is a step up over Rune Factory 4 is events are much easier to access. And I feel like they're more common. I haven't like counted them in each game, but it seems like events happen a lot more often. But more importantly, when an event is available, there's just a marker on your map and you know, okay, I can go over there and there will be an event. Uh, whereas in Rune Factory 4, uh, it was difficult to tell when an event was happening or what mm -hmm. you needed to do to trigger it. So that's a big step up as well. Well, I'm glad that there is, I'm glad that you're enjoying it, despite the fact that there were some mixed reviews on the game. Um, I don't know, maybe they'll kind of do what they did with four and release like a, a much more complete version or like refine certain elements in it, uh, in a few years, but it sounds like they are taking the first steps into, uh, obviously the first steps into actual 3d space, uh, which is a big transition for any game series. So I'm glad about that. Um, before we move on to Greg's game, I just wanted to very quickly ask you about something, uh, Brian, that you did a few weeks ago, uh, which is. Uh, Fire Emblem Gaiden, which is or Ga okay, help me. Is it guy? Is it Gaiden or Gaiden? It's Gaiden. Uh, I've always said Gaiden, but I have no reason to believe that either is correct. Yeah, I just realized because I've always said I've always said Gaiden too, but I've like, is it Gaiden? I'm I'm pretty sure it's Gaiden because Gaiden. Yeah, because um, because I believe it's like a Japanese word for a side story, and A is Ah in. Japanese pronunciation. Okay, so Gaiden then. Gaiden, I'm thrilled that you're here. There's a good chance I'm going to call it Gaiden again before the end of the episode. Um, Brian, you've uh, actually started on like a little a quest uh, of sorts, which is to play through all of the Fire Emblem games, many of which have never been released here in the West. Yeah, I, I have actually played all of the Western releases, so that part will be a replay. Uh, but the first six is going to have a few new ones for me. Yeah, you played recent, and you were reviewing them for the site too. Like you, you had a review for uh, the very first Fire Emblem game released on the Famicom system, uh, and these are fan translations. So you know, it's the only way we can really play it. Well, the first one wasn't. Uh, the first one they released on Switch. Oh, the first one was released a few weeks ago, right? A few months ago. Well, now you can't buy it anymore, but... You can't buy... Oh, of course you can't buy it. You have to put it back in the Nintendo vault. It's right next to the Disney vault. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I... We could, we could talk about this game for a while, but I, I more than that, I just want to ask you, uh, why would you suggest that fans of the more recent entries of the series, especially like Three Houses, uh, why would you recommend that they go back to the origins of... Uh, fire emblem like is there any reason for them to should they go back to the original uh famicom games or should they pick it up with the western games like i think it depends how much you like fire emblem uh if you're like me and you've played all of the western releases and you've played your favorite ones like multiple times then it's kind of the only way to get more fire emblem uh so that's a good reason to do it i mean you could play dark deity but anyway um <laughs> Some of the older games, you can see kind of where things came from and what features they experimented with and then didn't bring to future games. Or interestingly, some things they experimented with didn't do for like 10 games and then did again. Uh, like this isn't uh, Gaiden, but the next one I'm going to play is Genealogy. And that was the first one with like children units and, and romance. And then we 
don't really do that again until Awakening. Mm. Uh, so it's interesting to see kind of the timeline of how things came to be. I also think some of them are pretty fun. I think there's not like that much of a reason to play the first Fire Emblem, especially when there's like a pretty competent remake on the mm. DS. Uh, or even the first half of Fire Emblem 3 is just Fire Emblem 1 again, but better. Um, so there's like not that much reason to play Fire Emblem 1. But everything after that, I think there is is interesting to go back and play. Uh, yeah. Particularly Gaiden, I think, is a very weird one, but very interesting. Yeah, I mean, as someone, I mean, for God's sake, I just played Final Fantasy 3. Uh, and the reason you play these games is because, well, they still are good games in many ways. They might be out of date in terms of some of the mechanics, but it pays to really go back and see where these things started out, uh, where they where they where the series that we love began. Yeah, exactly. That's a piece of history and it's if you have the the patience for it, it's cool to see uh where 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 that history uh where where the ideas came from. Yeah, exactly. Um so the next one is genealogy you said? Yeah, well the, that's the next one I'm playing. The next review to come out will be uh Mystery of the Emblem. Uh, which is Fire Emblem 3, which I've already finished, but I haven't written the review for yet. I look forward to reading it. Um, okay, so, uh, you know, Fire Emblem, it's it's a game that, uh, although it has certainly moved into the 3D realm with, like, uh, Three Houses, if you are familiar with that, uh, it, it's based in classic 2D pixel-based art. And uh, another series that is based in 2D pixel-based art is Zelda. And... Zelda has inspired many. This is a long transition. Uh, Zelda has inspired many Zelda likes, and Greg seems to review a bunch of them. Um, Greg, you reviewed Ocean's Heart a few months ago. Yeah, super fun. Yeah, and you've actually played another uh, indie Zelda like, which is called Arietta of Spirits. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Arietta of Spirits? I it, I kept saying our. Arita of Spirits at one point, or Arietta of Spirits, but Arietta sounds right. Exactly. It's uh, first of all, I was really wondering where the hell this segue was going towards getting to Chocobos, but anyways, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Arietta Spirits is uh, a delight. Um, I, uh, I want to say it was Summer of Gaming. I can't remember if it was the first one or whatever, but it was one of the demos that dropped uh, when Steam had their first like kind of COVID show, and. Um, <laughs> It was it. It looked great. Like uh, if anyone else has looked at the artwork for it, like it is a gorgeous looking game. Sorry, I'm still stuck on COVID show where the latest <laughs> variants are released. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like CES but sad. Okay, it's like CES but sadder. <laughs> but yeah, if anyone's seen it, like it has a lot of charm in the art design and a lot of love has gone into it, and so that immediately grabbed me. And then yeah, I do like a nice simple Zelda like, um, and this one is is just that. Like it's it plays very similarly to link to the past and minish cap with the, how smooth it kind of handles and um, graphically, I would say closer to minish cap. Yeah, absolutely. A little more bouncy, which is not a bad a thing. More, minish cap is no. freaking gorgeous. Yeah. Minish cap is fantastic. Uh, one of the first games I played at the site actually. Um, and uh, yeah, this one is just full of so much heart, um, which was a delight. Like I didn't really know. I didn't look too much into the story or whatever was going on, but like right from the onset, like, you're greeted with this family going away on summer vacation and going to the cottage, uh, which may resonate with you, uh, Jono. Yeah. um, But it turns out it's the first year they're doing it without their grandmother because she passed and it's her cottage. So there's like a bit of a somber tone in spite of the, um, the kind of free summer loving kind of aspect of it. And Arietta is a 13 year old 
uh, girl. So uh, with her parents and it's her on her mom's side. So her mom's understandably sad. Dad's trying to be supportive. Arietta's trying to be supportive. And there's a whole mix of dealing with those emotions. Um, but on her first night there, it's clear that there's something off with the island. She's having like a really terrible nightmare. There's these spirits coming at her. And then this other glowing light saves her. And she wakes up out of her dream to greet this little creature named Arlo who becomes her spirit companion. Uh, and that kind of starts explaining the whole merge between the real world and the spirit world, which is really interesting because like the, the game starts where you're driving in a car. So it's very much set kind of in our modern day in a lot of ways on this island that has had a, had a mine in history and stuff like that. So it used to be lightly populated by working crews. So shades of Miyazaki here. That's the thing. And I mentioned it in my review that it's got a bit of an undertone of spirited away. So kind of marrying the spirit world with the modern world and... Oh, side, side note, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but have you seen the uh, images from the stage production of Spirit Oh, Boy? yeah. I was like, dear oh. goodness, tour that over here, please. <laughs> oh my God, it's so gorgeous. It was, yeah. It's just beautiful. It blows me away. I would yeah. love to see that. If I had all the disposable income right now with my having caught COVID and three vaccine super immunity, I'd be like... To Japan we go. <laughs> but no. If you're a fan of Spirited Away, you'll definitely find a home in like the kind of heart this uh, and the world this game evokes. Uh, and the kind of the whole crux is you're, you're, you're helping the spirit world. Um, and Arietta is, becomes this character, a, a bound is what they're called, people who can commune with the spirits and interact with them. Uh, and there's these kind of bad spirits who have taken over the island for some reason and are stopping good spirits or people from passing on. Uh, from through to the spirit world kind of thing. So you have to go through in Zelda like battles and uh, man, maneuver your way around the island and such and unlock secrets as you would a la, uh, Legend of Zelda through different skills and as you get items and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so it's it's great. Like it pays its homage well. It doesn't overstay its welcome because it's a nice quick little game. Like you can pick it up and get through it in like six hours. I love that. Less and um, the other thing that I was going to say, right, uh, that I find funny too, with marrying this kind of world into the modern world, is the fact that everyone's oddly okay, like she's oddly okay with the fact that she has to fight wasps that are like the same size as her with a wooden sword. She's just like, this is just Tuesday on the island, apparently. Well, that's what you do at the cottage. Well, that's the thing, right? Why not go fight a giant queen bee? Like, sure, for for apples, so mom can make cobbler. I mean, that's what we do every year. <laughs> I need to come to your cottage then. I am down to mess around. Did I tell you what happened to my cottage a cottage in Nova Scotia last year when I was visiting? Is that the dog one? No, that was that was the other one. Uh, okay. No, that was Marshall. Um, no, I was visiting my parents last year uh, in the summer and we went to the cottage and I was hearing some buzzing and I stayed out at the cottage. And then one morning I woke up and I looked out the window and there was a swarm of bees like covering, I couldn't leave the cottage. There was a swarm of bees around the entire cottage. It turns out that there was a massive beehive in the tree directly beside the entryway. Um, and that was horrific because you don't want to kill bees because they're no. bees, but you also don't want to be stung to death by bees. Yeah. And it's a weird thing because you've seen so many people who are just like real cool with bees and just seem yeah. to maneuver around them just fine without dying or, you know, and going on Macaulay Culkin on it. But yeah, they actually. Yeah, you just don't want to take a chance on it. Yeah. So yeah. Damn it, Craig. You know what? I have been keeping this podcast on track for many episodes now. I have been going straight down the line. You're back, and already we're talking about bees, and we're talking about Spirited Away, and we're talking about theater productions. This is what you do to me, man. You <laughs> you do not. I I you take me off task, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> anyway, sorry. 
Right, back on. It's all good. So yeah, this is just a really fun game. Like again, uh, all this being said, like I'm talking about just, yeah, it's got a lot going on, a lot of charm. It's got a really cool world that's built up that I really want to see more of. And I think they're going to do more with it. I don't know. It seems to kind of leave it up to the air. Like, I don't want to spoil too much of the story and what happens. It's It treads the line really nicely of, like, the fantasy whimsy with being grounded. And, again, people can read all this in my review. Um, it could definitely use a bit more interesting side quests. I mean, again, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's pretty quick. Like, it only has, like, two real side quests, which is, you know, uh, again, a laugh for compared to Zelda these days. But... <laughs> It's, it just seems like they're kind of dipping their toes and they tried a thing and they've really done a good job of staking their claim on this is something we are good at and we can keep creating these beautiful, lovely emotive games in this pixelated, gorgeous world. Uh, and they've created, a, again, a neat mythology that I really hope they keep working with. So my only complaint with it, it just, it didn't handle as tightly as I wanted. On PC, you can play on keyboard mouse, or it's all keyboard rather, or mm-hmm. gamepad, and I did. But it's annoying because uh, Ariata moves in all eight directions, but mm. you can only attack in four. So oh. it was really frustrating when you felt like you wanted to attack on an angle and you just couldn't get the right angle. And yet she could go that way. Yeah, and you feel like you should be able to. Um, even on easy, like the amount of times I died by accidentally rolling into something just because uh, that or because I just missed an enemy because of the fact that I couldn't get them on the angle. Instead, I can only attack in the the cardinal directions was really mm-hmm. a bit frustrating, but otherwise it doesn't hamper the game enough. It's just something to be aware of. Like it takes a little getting used to. Uh, and one nice detail I added is, or sorry, that I liked that they added, uh, unlike as we all remember running around a high rule field and you weren't running, actually you were just rolling as young Link mm-hmm. everywhere until you got a horse. Um, <laughs> They penalize you that if you roll too much, she'll eventually run out of breath and needs a little bit to recharge. Like she starts sweating. So you start getting slower and slower as you roll, <laughs> which I kind of like. I was like, well, yeah, like what 13 year old is going to roll around an island and get away with it. <laughs> so I thought so that was imagining Link being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> <sighs> and yeah, so that that was kind of just a fun detail. It took me a little bit to catch. I'm like, why am I getting? Oh, that makes sense. Okay. I accept this. Like it, it doesn't hurt the game and it's, I think it's just a nice little balance for it. So yeah, it's just got a lot of charm, like a Zelda game you'd expect and it plays really nicely. So I highly recommend it for any Zelda fan. It's just really quick and easy to pick up. That's really cool. You played a lot of these games. Like you played, uh, you played this. You, I mean, did you play, you played Blossom, right? Ocean's Heart, Summer and Mara uh, was similar just without the combat. And so what was the other one you said? I think it's Blossom. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Blossom. Blossom Tales, The Sleeping King. That's it. Oh, cool. I'll have to check it out. Actually, I feel yeah. like I haven't even heard of it, weirdly. Tunic is the next one I'm excited about. I don't know. I got a thing for Zelda. Like, you know what you're getting, I guess. And if they're if they're built well, then they're great. But if they're clunky, like it definitely hampers them. Yeah, look into Blossom Tales, The Sleeping King, because I've heard very good things about it. It's very much inspired by uh, Link to the Past. Nice. I had a question. Normally, this would be a discussion question kind of thing. But it's a, I have a discussion question just for you. Um, because you do play a bunch of these... What would be your ideal Zelda like? Like if you could if you could pick a like what mechanic would you want it to focus on the most? Like what would be your ideal game in a Zelda like you know Zelda like game? And like you don't mean like setting or anything, like you mean like what mechanics would I want from it? Like which which one would I like to see aped? Like would you want would you want to see a 2D game? Would you want to see a 3D game? Would you want to see it much more open world or much more focused? I mean, I haven't tried Genshin Impact yet, but I, you know, that's the Breath of the Wild like. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm always a big sucker for 
Wind Waker, which is why Summer and Mara attracted me so much. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't mind seeing something else kind of in that vein. And Ocean and Ocean's Heart kind of treaded the line between the two of being a 2D link to the past, but still traveling on the ocean like Wind Waker and having very much that aesthetic of like Wind Waker with a bit of um Minish Cap. Mm. I mean, I would love to see something else that tries to do uh like Link Between Worlds, like that's still 2D, 3D zelda world top-down thing and um but use some of the uh the mechanics like as long as like you have interesting ways to explore dungeons and like and the thing that was cool about link between worlds is that you could kind of do anything however order you wanted yeah because you could kind of have access i I don't really want like a rental system for items like if there's a cool way to still kind of find them in their own unique dungeons Mm -hmm. um like swords of ditto i think kind of does it all right too but it's and it's like a procedurally generated one same with um Moonlighter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I can't really say there's an ideal. Like I've liked all of them I've played. Like everyone seems to do a good job of like taking their own spin on it. And I think that's what I like is just like how I buy video game art. And like you said, you've said before in like Rhythm Encounter with arrangements, right? Like it's cool if they take the arrangement, they take the original, but then seeing the flavor they put in it to make it theirs. The last Zelda like that I played that did really really its own thing was uh, Minute. Uh, have you played it? I haven't. I've wanted to. That one looks really rad. I played it in an afternoon. It only took me one afternoon. And as a Zelda fan, I was a, I was a, it was great. I thought it was just awesome. I, I highly recommend it's it. It's on the it's, list to do. Yeah. And it's, again, it's, you know, it's pretty short, but it's super, super, uh, everything in it works really, really well. Um, well, that is another successful episode of Random. We're not quite done yet, though, because I want to ask a discussion question. Uh, which relates to something I asked early in the episode. E3 2022 is now confirmed to be canceled. Um, they say it's going to be coming back in 2023. I'll believe that when I see people there. Um, but here's my question for everyone on the panel. Uh, do you think that E3 will be missed uh, either by the industry or just by you? So, uh, Greg, let's go in reverse order. Greg. Yeah, sure. I I don't think so. I mean, I think, again, with COVID and uh and the transition away from live events i think everyone that started their own shows uh for better or worse they saw an opportunity and they saw an a pending gap and they filled it rather nicely i think um it was just like kind of an excuse for everyone to go nintendo now and just not really show up and mm-hmm. do their own thing with varying degrees of success yeah exactly that's the thing but it's more cost effective it lets people get I guess things into the hands of consumers a little faster. So there's a little less of the elitism, but like it's still more, more outlets have an opportunity. I would like to think where they can get into like private discord chats with developers and stuff like that. Maybe, I don't know how that all worked out. Cause I haven't done the staff side of this thing, but I see it as a better opportunity in the whole work from home culture. And, uh, and it's more, it's it has a lot less expense and a lot less of a footprint. Mm-hmm. So I think it is, uh, I, th- I think a three for what it's done for the industry as a whole and creating the framework for these sorts of shows is great, but yeah, I don't think anyone's going to miss it as it was, especially as a digital show, because there's so much filling the gap now at this point. Uh, Brian, I think it will be missed in a sense. Uh, I I feel like people have been saying for years that they miss old E3, and I feel like that's the thing that people are going to continue to miss, but I also think it can never come back. Back when every company was doing their big announcements at E3, and it was the event of the year, and I don't think it's ever going to be that again, Um, and I don't think any event will. There's really no reason for it to be now that companies have kind of realized, you know, Sony's like, oh, we could just do our own event. 
you know, so as Nintendo and Microsoft. And I think that's the direction things are going to head in. So I, I think people will miss like the idea of one big hype event, but I think it's probably better this way. Uh, people can kind of filter for the announcements that they want to watch. Um, it's more on demand now. It's more accessible. I think it's probably better now, but I think people will still have fond memories for kind of the golden days of, uh, of E3. Neil, as uh, our PR person, I imagine that you have some interesting feelings about this. I can't really say much beyond what Brian and Greg have so eloquently said because... Oh, thank you. For the, Yeah, because it's... For those reasons, I feel like I'm not necessarily going to miss E3, especially since we've seen so many digital events that have just been amazing and have allowed companies that maybe couldn't get a place at E3 to still present their stuff out there. And while E3, as you both have said, has like a very important place in history. Recent E3 events have had some bad decisions that left a sour taste in gamers' mouths. I mean, the first year it opened to the public, that was an utter mess. And and so they're probably still scrambling to like from very from that recent bad publicity and all. So I went to E3 once with for RPG Fan. It was back in 2012. And the best part about that for me was getting to meet so many of my RPG Fan colleagues in real life and people. get yeah. to hang out with them. Exactly. The people factor, meeting them, actually getting to literally like schmooze with industry people and everything. I mean, this was this was before I became RPG fans PR person. So that kind of set the stage for me to just really get into the whole like, you know, schmoozing and PR aspect of Hmm. it. So while I I'll miss the, you know, people aspect of it, I'm not necessarily going to miss, you know, the backstage behind the scenes headaches that went along with. (laughs) Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, it will be a regret for maybe my whole life that I've never actually got to go to E3 with uh, the folks here at RPG Fan. That would have been amazing. My fondest memories of E3, because I've never gone, was I would go to every every spring I would do, and, and early summer I would do French immersion for like five or six years. Um, and French immersion is essentially English deprivation. Like there is no English. And there are certain degrees where people will... English almost becomes like contraband, like you have quiet conversations and things like that. But I was always very, very strict with myself. There was no English music. I I avoided speaking English. Like I was very stubborn about it. But the one exception was I would find a empty classroom and like take my laptop in and close the door so no one could possibly see me. And I would absorb all of the E3 news that was coming out um, every year. And that was, I have fond memories of that. Um, And I feel that for me personally, and this is going to fade, obviously, as the conference fades, if it fades, um, but for the last few years, E3 has stopped being so much a brand name as it's become like the generic name for all of the summer conferences, like the summer of like Summerfest, uh, summer of gaming, that kind of thing. It's like the Kleenex or the Javex or the Popsicle of gaming conventions now. So whenever I think, okay, it's E3 season, it's like, okay, now it's the time when all of these companies are going to be doing their shows because it's E3 season. Um, And I mean, that might stick around for a while, 
but I think it will be missed in many ways. I think it will, I think that sense of community will be missed. I think going will be missed. I think like the mental images we have of like E3 back in the nineties and early two thousands with giant booths and, and like the announcements of PlayStation or like the Nintendo 64, that kind of thing. Obviously that's what's going to be missed. Um, but we miss that already. We miss that togetherness. We miss that sense of community. Um, and if this thing ever gets under control, and I'm not convinced that it will, uh, I think that we will probably have a resurgence of that kind of activity and, and group conference and things like that. And just a, a sense of being able to get back together again in large groups and celebrate. And I really hope that happens. But until that happens, I don't think E3 plays a particularly vital role in the video game uh, in video game discourse. So, yeah, it's gone. I'm going to miss it, but I don't think it will be missed necessarily. And on that happy friggin' note, let's do some housekeeping. Uh, if you would like to check out some of our past episodes, I I think you should do that because there are 239 of them, many of them uh, starring Greg. So check those out too. Um, just a reminder that we have other podcasts. Yeah, uh, we have other podcasts here at at uh, RPG Fan. Uh, we have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fan's music podcast, and that just released probably like the best slash worst thing I've ever done. Um, it was a April Fool's. Uh, it wasn't a joke. It was a treat, uh, and it was a karaoke episode. So uh, me and a bunch of RPG. Uh, staff members, we got together and we actually did had a karaoke night singing RPG uh, music. And Greg, you were on that episode. I sure was. And it was a blast. Yeah. Um, and it was a blast. It was so much fun and we recorded it and it's it's up now. So if you want to check that out, uh, check out Rhythm Encounter. Uh, it's it's uh, it's fantastic and terrible at the same time as all of the best karaoke is. It's RPGs before your ears. Yep. Um, and this is just a reminder, we do have a Retro Encounter, which is uh, a podcast sh- featuring all things retro, and there is a massive back catalog of that. It is currently on hiatus as uh, the host, Mike Solosi, is taking a well-deserved time off, which is his first time off in years of running this podcast weekly. So uh, it'll be back in a few months, but until then, there are lots of episodes that you can get caught up on from Retro Encounter. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, though, you can fire me off a message at podcastrpgfan.com. I would love to hear from you. Uh, if you have any ideas for future episode uh, themes or discussion questions like the one we had about E3, if you have an idea for a discussion question, send it in and I'll feature it on the show and I'll mention your name that you sent it in. Um, if you'd like to send me an email personally, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com or you also have the option of finding me on Twitter at jono underscore logan. I am not the only person who has an online presence on this podcast, though. Uh, Neil, where can we find you online? My email address is neilch at rpgfan.com. That's N-E-A-L-C-H. I'm also neilch on RPG Fans Discord. And for industry folks who want to get in touch, uh, PR at rpgfan.com. Cool. And Brian, where can we find you? I am on Twitter uh, at Badgerbarian. It's a great nickname. It's a great name. It's just very, yeah, I like it. It also sounds like it would be a class in Tiny Tina's Wonderland. I'd play the Badgerbarian. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, she would 100% turn that into a thing. Yeah. And uh, Gerg. 
Where can we find you online? Uh, I am at Greg Delmage pretty much anywhere on the interwebs. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and help us get the word out there. Uh, rate us on iTunes, your other podcast players of choice. I want to give a quick shout out here to Alex, who is uh, apparently based on what he told me before is up very, very, very late with his baby uh, who is having some trouble sleeping. So Alex, if you're listening, I hope you and your baby uh, get a good night's sleep very, very soon. Uh, And thank you very much for joining us. And don't forget, whatever you're playing, have fun.